The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown to zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown podcast and radio show. Today, we're speaking with Kevin Kelly. He's the CEO of Emerald Packaging. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing fine. Can't complain. So thank you so much for joining us. This is going to be a cool conversation because you know a lot about what's going on in the United States government right now with a a few different action plans and acts that are coming into play with the new Biden administration. So we're going to get into that in the episode. Uh, But first, um, can you introduce yourself and let us know what is Emerald Packaging? Sure. Uh, We are a family-owned business around 60 years old. Uh, We're based just south of Oakland, California. And we produce what's called flexible packaging, which I'm sure your uh, listeners know about. If you buy salad in a bag or you buy baby carrots in a package or spinach in a package, that's what we make. We we print, we make plastic, we print and uh, do all sorts of weird things to produce packages that have been pretty heavily bought during the pandemic, it it turns out, uh, much much greater demand than we are historically capable of handling. And so it's been a very busy time here. So I would say from that, the amount of packaging that people are buying is just way up during COVID, maybe because they can't go out to restaurants as much? I think that's that's part of it. Yes, uh, to your point, uh, packaging uh, sales are way up. Uh, last March, uh, orders here went up 200%. Uh, and wow. so we're selling to the big packers like Dole and Del Monte and, and folks like that. So they obviously were seeing big peel, uh, big pulls at the retail level, and uh, they inflicted those on us. We're a $80 million company, so a 200% increase in orders is well beyond our capability of handling. Orders have remained up about 20% since that period, uh, year over year, and uh, I think that's really being driven by demand at the grocers, as you said, and uh, the perception that packaged produce or packaged foods are somehow safer uh, than unpackaged. Uh, and, and in some cases, there's there's truth in it. Uh, in, in other cases, there's not. Um, perception uh, ends up becoming reality, but uh, it's one of the problems with uh, uh, something like this is there's really no way to reach out to consumers and say, hey, stop, you know, you don't have to change your buying uh, approach this badly just because you think something uh, when in fact the, the, the virus really isn't transmitted on, on, on what's called unpackaged produce. Uh, but the perception is there and the retailers just kept demanding more and more packaged and less and less unpackaged. And so yeah. that's the conundrum we're in today across the board, which is a gigantic increase in the use of packaging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a big increase. And and a lot of these grocery stores had rules in my area where I wasn't even allowed in the grocery store because I had a cloth bag in my hand. I had to go back yes. and put it in my car. And so I got kicked out of Whole Foods. <laughs> really? Did you? 
what are you kidding? Are you kidding me? And I'm so I'm getting charged for paper, and I I, I, I can't bring my. And then for a while they let you put your grocer groceries in boxes and take them out and pack them in your car. And they're just there were all sorts of contradictory rules um, around uh, bringing your your own grocery bags. It seems to have settled out, but a lot of people got used to not bringing them. So you still see a lot of paper leaving the store where it didn't historically used to. Mm-hmm. Oh, because you don't have plastic grocery bags in your area in California. Is that right? I no, that's right. Do you really, they are allowed uh, if they're two and a half mil thick. You can have plastic grocery bags. And in the Central Valley, which is a little bit, uh, I think, more conservative, uh, not a little bit, just a lot bit more conservative, plastic uh, grocery bags are still more common. Uh, but here in the Bay Area, uh, it's really paper. Yeah, yeah, we couldn't bring jars in anymore because I used to live pretty zero waste, like hardly any garbage ever, and we couldn't bring our jars to fill up things or our cloth bags. And so, yeah, I'm not surprised to hear that there's a huge increase in uh, in plastic packaging, right, for um, for food. So hopefully we get settled. But I, you know, I guess it's good for for your company in that way. Um, but so. Emerald packaging is certified green in California, right? Um, right. So what, what does that mean for all of us who are outside of California? Sure. It means we uh, have radically reduced our water use, our, our electrical use, um, things like that uh, over the last 10 years. And we've met metrics set by the state for a facility this size, which is about 200,000 square feet in terms of, uh, of things like that, like energy usage. So we're, we're certainly green in that sense. We're obviously a packaging company. So uh, if you take uh, an entire carbon footprint in, it's a, a slightly different story, but uh, we're certainly more green than most manufacturers. We're one of the few manufacturers actually in the state of California that's certified green by the state. And uh, so I'm pretty, I am pretty proud of the work we've done there. Yeah, and I see that you offer some, I think, some bioplastics and different types of plastics. So it seems like you're trying to reduce plastic packaging and waste. Um, but there are some things that I don't really think you can sell without plastic or we haven't found ways yet. And so you kind of provide the packaging uh, for that. Is that right? There's different, uh, different approaches you take to be as sustainable as po- possible with these packages? Yeah, we're, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of bioplastics for for a lot of uh, different reasons. I I think the knock-on effects of using sugar or or corn uh, to produce packaging really has to be taken into account. You know, you start using more more corn, you know, you end up having the Amazon burned. And we don't really make those connections. That's, That's one piece I don't like about bioplastics. The second is that there's really no way in the United States, I don't know about Canada, to um, uh, compost the stuff. Uh, it, it's not certified backyard compostable. And most of the packaging we put in our backyard compost is still there ages later. And the municipalities and the haulers don't pick up bioplastics. And if they get into the compostable bins, uh, like your uh, uh, lawn and, and garden waste, uh, they get pulled out at the uh, compost facilities anyway, even if they're, uh, they're capable of composting uh, bioplastics. Um, 
So I, I you know, for those reasons, it, there's it's it's a great selling tool, but at this point, I just see no practicality in them versus, say, regular plastic, where probably the carbon footprint may even be lower. I don't know, uh, but it, it it's cer- there certainly aren't the benefits there that uh, I think consumers think. Uh, plus, they're also very expensive, and so that means their adoption is is pretty low. Uh, there, there was a study last year that said consumers would pay 10% more for a product if it was in bioplastics, but the fact of the matter is they'd pay 20, 30% more. It's that much more expensive. And so the the uptake on on bioplastics just, just has not been as aggressive as we might've thought 10 or 15 years ago when we were introducing corn plastics in the produce industry well before anybody else. Uh, we really don't produce any uh, of that anymore. Our focus has shifted more, I think, towards uh, helping our customers design the package to use less plastic and also to uh, embrace uh, recyclable plastics or plastics that can be recycled. Let's you know, be honest, flexible packaging is not recycled at this point. Uh, really anywhere in the United States either. You can take it back to the grocery stores. There's lots of problems with that program. Uh, uh, so there's that. What we're really making a commitment to, to do is start incorporating more post-consumer recycled uh, resin in our packages uh, as it becomes available. Uh, our commitment right now is 30% uh, PCR in our packages by 2025. That's good. Yeah. And I agree with you with the bioplastic. We've had a scientist from Germany come on the show and show us that there are a lot of toxins added and endocrine disruptors because you're adding the same things to bioplastic as you would to regular plastic to make it like just as usable as plastic and then of course like you said you have to have like a high heat compost facility and then they get mixed in with the plastic so it might mess up the recycling of the regular plastic and then you've got to plant crops and get your tractors out there and get all the chemical fertilizers and the the insecticides and all this stuff right so it's a big big deal whereas the plastic from fossil fuels um it's like a byproduct from the oil and gas industry and it's there already so uh it, there is a, a a good conversation around bioplastics versus regular plastics so i'm glad that you mentioned a lot of the the issues and you're very honest about it which is great because uh you know the more we talk about this stuff the more we're going to find the best solutions i think so um yeah so that's pretty pretty interesting to hear and uh, i know you you mentioned dole right so i think everybody knows dole i always think of a pineapple but they they have a lot of um fruit and and different things are there other brands that you work with that uh that listeners maybe would recognize well uh del monte of course uh and they're they're in a lot of uh different kinds of fruits and vegetables uh grimway farms uh which people probably don't know but if you go buy those baby carrots in a package they're all basically grimway farms they're basically they're grimway or bolt house and then you know a lot of the brand names are i don't think widely known but they're certainly printed on the package uh dandy tanamer and antle all the big growers we are the largest produce packaging supplier in the country without a doubt uh, it's really the area we've focused our efforts over the years simply because we're an hour and a half away from the Salinas Valley. So if you were to say that 
plastics and sustainability can coexist. Do you think the the biggest part of that would be the recycling, like the re- maybe the reduction of plastic and packaging, and then to make sure it's better recycled? Yes, without a doubt. And I think the yeah. industry has to deal with the fact that it needs to be reduced. We, we're using too much plastic. I, there are things in packaging today that just blow my mind. Uh, uh, there'll be products that turn up like snow peas in a package or, or packaging for snow peas. And I'm like, you're, you gotta be kidding me. Uh, uh, you know, snow peas for generations have been, <laughs> have been sold loose in the grocery store. And yet uh, com- companies for reasons of shelf life preservation, uh, which does have the effect hopefully of, of reducing food waste or branding, decide to put things in packages that uh, you know, uh, I don't really see clear benefit for. So as a society, I think we really have to get, get uh, into a conversation about where we need plastic and where we don't need plastic. So that, that, that's certainly a piece of it. The other piece is recycling, but the industry seems to be splitting along different lines on this. The large chemical companies have invented this term called advanced recycling. And what it really is, is turning plastics back into oil, which then can be turned back into plastics. And this, of course, is described as circular. And groups like the Sustainable Packaging Coalition seem to be uh, embracing it. Uh, it's, to my mind, it's a real perversion of the, of the intention of a circular economy, because all you're doing in that case is, is, is producing an, something turning something in uh, to something that releases greenhouse gases. And, you know, we'd like to reduce our, our, our use of oil and we certainly need to reduce greenhouse gases. So I think the industry itself has to say, okay, if you have a PET, uh, sorry, polyester polyethylene pouch and PET, that cannot be recycled because it's using two different kinds of plastic. We're gonna have to find either a way not to put that in a pouch or put it in a pouch that is recyclable. And by recycling, I mean mechanical recycling. And that's a tall order in and of itself, but it's far more, um, uh, it's far less harmful to the environment, uh, obviously, than, than chemical recycling is. So the, ACE, the American Chemistry Council is doing a whole promotion this month on chemical recycling and I think it's important to call it what it is, chemical recycling. You know, Orwell talked about the use of language uh, by corporations, uh, well, the powerful, to obfuscate what, in fact, they were doing. Uh, and in this case, the chemical companies are hiding the fact that they're turning something back in, into a, a, a something that's going to release large amounts of greenhouse gas. And the industry has to get beyond that. Uh, this sort of, you know, love affair with with gas and oil. It has to become something else. And so I'm really frightened we're going to get into this whole debate about recycling that is that is just going to turn out to be so counterproductive. Uh, the industry may find itself in 10, 15 years out of business because we can't sustain the level of plastic waste we have going either. So uh, unless we get serious as an industry, collectively in terms of 
finding uh, a way to uh, reform recycling systems so they can handle plastics, can handle flexible packaging. Uh, I think we're in for, for deep trouble as an industry and we deserve it uh, because the oil and gas industry, I think, has lied about recycling to people for 20, 30 years. Uh, and and it, they're con now they're going to lie about greenhouse gas production. So it's, it's really frustrating uh, to be sitting here, especially in California, where there's a lot of legislation uh, introduced around plastics and have to listen to these I probably can't swear on on on. Nope. on. <laughs> uh, okay, listening to these these folks in in Washington D.C. and Houston spin these stories, uh, calling things what they're not, uh, confusing people uh, into thinking that we're embracing recycling when in fact, you know, we're not. Uh, so or they're not. So so uh, I'm worried. Yeah, and a lot of people in the zero waste movement, they want to think that we can get rid of plastic. Um, and I worry about our food chain and feeding people healthy food, right? Like, I don't think it's really an option that you can just say, okay, nobody's going to make any more plastic anymore because then where's all your, your food going to come from? And um, and with COVID, we kind of see that, right? So uh, right. it is a very big problem. And so I'm glad you're you're working on it. And you mentioned some people in D.C. So you have some information for us on the new Biden administration. Uh, so could you start with telling us what the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act is? Well, that's a, an act that was introduced last year uh, and has been reintroduced uh, probably with far more likelihood of success in the next year or two of being passed. So it was uh, introduced by Trump? By no, no, no. It was introduced uh, in Congress uh, by yeah. Two Democrats um, uh, on the House of Representatives side, uh, uh, Lowenthal, and on the Senate side, Udall. So it's uh, it's alternatively known as the Lowenthal Bill or the Udall Bill or the Udall Lowenthal Bill. And what it attempts to do is uh, create uh, uh, extended producer responsibility systems that will create the funds, and this is very shorthand, that will create the funding mechanism to reform recycling systems so they can handle plastics. It also puts in place uh, rules around, say, for instance, sticking labels on clamshells, which can theoretically be recycled, but uh, can't be because they've got these, you know, uh, uh, paper labels that you're, uh, uh, stuck to them that would introduce contamination into the recycling process. It also specifies the kind of labels that can be used on bottles, because if you stick a shrink sleeve on a, a bottle, it's it's hot, very, very hard to recycle it. So it also goes at packaging manufacturers and, uh, and says you have to create packages that, in fact, can be recycled. I think there's two shortcomings to the bill. Uh, well, there's also another strength to the bill, frankly, in that it bans chemical recycling. So uh, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. I'm, big of, I'm a big fan of the funding mechanism, and I'm a big fan that that funding, funding mechanism will go to fund uh, advancements in recycling. I, I think there's, there's actually a few shortcomings. The, the, the bill uh, believes, or it seems to indicate a belief, that it's the packaging manufacturers that design these packages. And in fact, it's the consumer product companies that drive packaging design. 
and drive the type of packages they want to use. And the bill does not loop them into the producer responsibility uh, network. It's really all in the manufacturer. And you need the CPGs at the table and you need consumers at the table. And there's really no fees on consumers for using packaging either. And I think all three should happen. I, I, I think it has to be an extended chain. I know that in, in DC, they're, they're a little bit worried about introducing fees on consumers because then it looks like a tax. And even Democrats don't want to do anything that looks like a tax. Yeah, uh, and it could it, hurt like lower income people, right? If they're just- I, You know, I, 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 I suppose, um, uh, I think it's just more that, uh, you know, certainly we've, we've taxed or put fees on plastic bags and that's changed consumer behavior over time. Yeah, that's crazy. That works. <laughs> it does work. And it's only like five cents. I think it was in Canada. And then apparently it worked really well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Same in same in California. It worked very well. Uh, yeah. I got tired of shelling out uh, five cents, five <laughs> cents for plastic and then paper. And uh, we have a, a wide collection of reusable packages at home. And again, this was something the industry fought for a long time. I remember being at a conference for the Society of Plastics Industries many, many years ago and saying, listen, bags are gonna get banned and you gotta wake up to it and do something about it. And I almost got decked, literally almost got decked. Oh, no. uh, and um, uh, which is sort of a badge of honor, but uh, it, uh, it indicates you know, the resistance to some degree in the industry to think about these things. I think that it, now because of the legislative pushes and the patchwork of laws that could be enacted across states. The industry is turning its attention to working with Congress to come up with a law that's workable. The Flexible Packaging Association and the Product Stewardship Institute came out with a program that's very similar to Udall, uh, the Udall bill, but it brings in the consumer product companies. And, and I think, so they have, they have to be there and they have to be paying fees too, because they're driving this stuff. Uh, and you're not going to fund, you're not gonna get the level of funding out of plastics companies, I think that people think. I mean, the largest plastic company in the world is probably $10 billion. And that sounds large, but think about how big GM is or Ford is, or the big manufacturers are. This is still a very fragmented uh, industry with a lot of smaller companies like ours in it. And, um, you know, the funds I don't think are there that uh, uh, legislat legislators think uh, that need to be ginned up to get the uh, recycling systems in order. The other thing that needs to happen, I think, is that government needs to mandate the use of this plastic material or any recycled material in new product. So require a PCR content for uh, a level PCR content, for instance, in packaging and verify it somehow. Is PCR uh, like post-consumer recycled? Oh, yeah, post-consumer recycled resin, yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, the, so that there's a market created for recycled material. Right now, uh, recycling systems are so broken in this country, almost everything is up ending up in landfill because there really isn't an end market for so many things. We were yeah. sending it all to China. That game's over, That's and bad. and you know we wake up and we're like, wow, we we really haven't created a market here, and we should have, and we need to.
uh, and, and because that's really at the end of the day uh, the real way to drive down waste. And to loop back to your other comment, you're right. Uh, the way our supply chains work, how the way uh, grocery systems work, you know, they're big, big grocery stores. And we're not decentralized like Europe. You need packaging to get food from one place to the other. We have to find some way to live with the packaging we we need, uh, engineer it so that it's as environmentally responsible as it can be, find a way to recycle it, and then reduce the packaging we actually don't need. So, uh, uh, I, but I, so I really think recycling is the way to go. Uh, but again, uh, we're, it's great to see the legislation at the federal level, uh, but it's a long road to recycling, uh, rebuilding our recycling systems here in the States will probably take 10, 15 years. Uh, we're not going to see dramatic reductions in three years or five years. It's going to take longer than that. And it's going to take work. Uh, a magic yeah. fairy is not going to come and wave a wand and have it happen overnight. There's that great phrase, not recycling, wish cycling. Yeah. And we all do it, right? Uh, I'm putting things in the recycle bin that I know should be recycled. And it's like a political statement, recycle this stuff but it's not recyclable uh, because of the way it's constructed. And we need to deal with those things and that's gonna take technology that's being developed, but is not in wide usage yet. Yeah, we got a lot of work to do, I think. And so there's lots of opportunities for young people, I think, uh, to get into STEM and to work on some of these solutions. And I love to feature uh, people on the show that are doing innovations and, and working on these problems. Um, we don't have too much time left, but uh, the Presidential Plastics Action Plan, I wanted to ask you about that, too. So is this a new one under Joe Biden? No, that was proposed by the uh, National Resource Defense Council, and it's a long list of uh, proposals uh, that they'd like to see the administration enact, uh, not through bills, but by executive action, where the president just signs it and it goes into law. The problem with most of what they pr uh, propose is it, end, it would end up in the courts and it would be there for a long time. And so I think going through Congress is the best way to get change and to set the rules down uh, for the future because it's much harder to file lawsuits against bills that have been uh, vetted through Congress versus executive actions that come out of the White House. Yeah, yeah, solar panels are different up here. So in sunny California, I'm sure that they work great, but I have one and uh, there's snow on it all the time and <laughs> I can get the snow off, um, but then it doesn't even get enough sun uh, to last through the night. I have it on a, on my, like for my chickens and it's crazy. Like it won't even power the power the battery for the night. Whereas we, you know, in the summer when it's getting enough sunlight, um, then it's it's completely fine, right? So we have a lot of challenges with that. That I think it overlooked. Like I would love a Tesla so much, but there are some winter kind of issues. Um, right. But I know Norway has a lot of them, uh, which I find I, I'm very curious about that. Like maybe we just get more ice and freezing than Norway um, or colder temperatures. I'm not really sure. Um, but yeah, we have a little bit of some different challenges and like uh, like we were talking about before with the water, right? So you guys have a lot of drought issues where we don't really see that as much where right. we are. So sometimes, yeah, sometimes the solutions can be very localized and uh, some of them can be like a blanket um, solution. But 
with when it comes to plastic packaging, um, I think that a lot of it, you know, doing the show for four years, I think a lot of it is kind of necessary. And if you're listening, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I know that, that <laughs> it can be offensive, but I, I, I look back to like when I was a little girl in the eighties and there were famines, you know, like in Ethiopia and there were, there were, you know, people starve and, in our history, we, we've had food shortages and food issues and plastic has really allowed us to make sure that a lot of people don't go hungry. And so I'm, I'm grateful for that, but then the plastic pollution is out of control and it's really bad. So if we accept the importance of it as a packaging to feed people, I think that's a good idea. And then also to recognize that it's just piling up. It's too much. Um, it kills wildlife directly. You know, some of them, if they eat it or it gets in the water. Right. Uh, so I think there's a, a good balanced conversation to have here. Um, and it's so cool to talk to a CEO of a major plastics company who is so interested in sustainability. Um, that's really great to hear. So thank you uh, for being interested in that. And uh, really, thank you for coming on the show and, and giving us some insight into this issue. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to add? Well, to your point, I think about uh, food packaging, where I think food packaging is going is in the incorporation of, of smart materials into the packaging so that it can it can communicate with your smart refrigerator or your smartphone to tell you the package use by date is coming up and say, for instance, here's a recipe. And so packaging uh, using that kind of technology can reduce food waste, which is also a huge greenhouse gas um, uh, issue. Uh, but to your point, in the end of the day, the industry has to face the facts. That there's too much plastic. It's, it's, it is out of control. And we haven't yet come up. We are, we're not in, enacting solutions. And we have to be honest about the solutions we're presenting to the public. And so um, I, I think you're, you're on the right road. And uh, thanks for including me in the conversation. It's an honor. And uh, I think if industry, parts of industry and, and the environmental movement can work together, uh, we can get a lot done. Yeah, totally. This has been great. And yeah, we can we can do this, but it's it's going to be long. <laughs> We're not just going to snap yes. our fingers and get rid of plastic because the the consequences would be just crazy, I think. Um, so lots to think about in this this episode. So thank you, Kevin. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks for uh, taking the time. That was Kevin Kelly. He's the CEO of Emerald Packaging. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast.